It is, it is really, really an honor to have brother and sister Stephen Jones with us. Yes. Brother Jones and I have been working at least two or three years to find the perfect, try to get the perfect date because he is a missionary to Honduras. He and his entire family have been there. Uh, my wife and I actually were there in Honduras before you guys moved there full time and have seen in pictures the progress that this man and his family have done since they've been there with God's help. And it's been truly miraculous. We love and appreciate them so very, very much. Brother Jones and, and Sister Jones, we're delighted you're here. We want you to come and preach, sing. Uh, just do whatever you want to do in the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. Let's put our hands together one more time for the man of God in Jesus' name. Come on, why don't you put your hands together for Jesus all over this auditorium one more time. Come on, can you give him the best hand clap that you've given him all night? Hallelujah. Praise God. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, I really am glad to see you tonight. <laughs> Amen. This is my wife and I's very first time in the new, the new building. And, uh, what a tremendous testimony to what God is capable of doing through faithful people. Amen. I think you ought to put your hands together for the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of this church. When I, when I look around, some of you see crown molding and, and uh, lights and pews and carpet. My wife and I see a lot of hard work and a lot of money because we've been, it feels like we've never stopped construction since we got to Honduras. And uh, I, I don't know if Brother Mayo feels this way, but a lot of people, they ask us, you know, how did you, how did you do what you've done in Honduras? And it's flattering and sometimes it's embarrassing because truthfully, we don't really know. Um, but, you know, they want to duplicate it or replicate it, and it's not something that's manufactured in some laboratory. I, I, I don't know. You know, we, we got our church praying, you know. And then people have said, it's, it's miraculous, and it is. But had I known how hard it was going to be to do it, before we went, I never would have gone to begin with. But God has this way of withholding information from you. He's not totally forthright. It feels a little dishonest. But God wants you to know if anything happens in Honduras, it was because I did it. If there's a building in Honduras, I built the building. If people get the Holy Ghost, I filled them with the Holy Ghost. If people get baptized, I did it. It's in my, hey, if there's a church in, in, in Spokane, Washington, God built this church. If there's another building, God built that church. If there's revival in this region, God sent the revival. It's not you. It's not me. It's not programs. It's not pedigree. It's not a... It's not a family. It is the work of God being manifested in this city. 
All praise, all glory be to God. Amen. And we are foolish if we ever think it's us. God takes that serious. When you let people praise you and you receive the glory, you search through Scripture, you'll find kings that were consumed by worms because they loved the glory of people. Hey, God did it. Just deflect. God did it. God did it. God did. God's sending the revival. Amen. We, we, we celebrate everything God's done in Honduras. I, I don't know how many in total, but I personally have counted 500 that I've baptized in Jesus' name. On Thanksgiving service, we had over 400 in our headquarters church, and we, we had to start a new location an hour and a half almost from our headquarters location. And on Christmas, we had 100 people in that location. We're looking for people to come be missionaries in Honduras. If you have any people interested, Brother Mayo, you send them my way, but no trouble. Well, we don't want any trouble, people. Don't be getting rid of those old spiritual billy goats down in Honduras. I'll send them right back in the name of Jesus. <laughs> but God, God's doing the work, and it's, a, it's miraculous. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And, Brother Mayo, you'll, you'll never know how much it meant for my wife and I, for you and Sister Mayo to be there in 2016. Because my wife and I were evangelizing and we were in a really unique season of our life. We had left Honduras once to have children and evangelize and we were really praying about going back. And uh, you came up to me during that week. It might have been just casual. It might be forgettable to you. But you said, you know, Brother Jones, if you'd come back, I'd get behind you. And I walked away from that conversation and I called my wife. And she said the exact same thing. She said, babe, if you feel like going back, I'm going to get behind you. And uh, a month later, we enrolled in language school. And three months later, we were back. And we've been there ever since. And so uh, it's, it's been miraculous. And we wouldn't change it for the world. God's been good to us. Amen. I, I preach more often in Spanish than I do in English now. So if I slip off into Spanish, I think there's a few people that will be blessed here tonight. <laughs> Most of you might be confused, but we'll get through it. If you have your Bible, 1 Kings chapter number 17. I'm fully aware that there are people that travel a good ways to be in church tonight. And it's in the middle of the week, and folks have to get up to go to work tomorrow. And so I'm going to be mindful of that and quickly share what I feel like is on my, my heart. I just feel so honored to be here, and I give honor to Bishop and Sister Mayo and the entire team of ministry and administration that make this such a world-class church. Amen. I know it cannot be done by one man or one man and one woman. This is a, an effort of faithful people, and so I honor you today. Uh, I honor Brother and Sister Sargent who are here today. God bless you in Jesus' name. They mean so much to my family, my mom and dad and our entire family. Love you so much, and then I... Brother Marks and Sister Marks, wherever they are, I honor you. Some of our dearest friends, my wife and I, are, we feel like we're honeymooning for 24 hours. Amen. No kids. Amen. If we had children here, they'd be acting like wild jungle children uh, because they're just missionary kids. You know, that's what missionary kids do. They, I know what you think of missionary kids. They just walk around in little leather tunics and spears and war paint. 
and travel. That's what you see on little postcards. and That's not too far from the truth with mine. Amen. So, amen. First Kings chapter number 17, verse number 1. The Bible says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the Lord, and the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. For just a few moments tonight, I just want to talk to you. Maybe it'll be teaching, maybe it'll be preaching, but hopefully we can connect at some point in the Holy Ghost before we leave. I just want to talk to you about Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah the Tishbite. Would you put your Bible down behind you? Would you extend your hands towards heaven? And would you pray that God would have his way in the remainder of this service? God, I love you. I appreciate you. I'm so thankful for what we know, what we feel, what we understand. We don't want to go through this service without there being a holy interruption. Fill this sanctuary with your praise, and we will not fail to give you all of the praise and all of the glory. One more time, would you put your hands together and give God a hand clap of praise. Praise God. God bless you for standing. You can be seated. And during the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, we see where he, he takes three of the already hand-selected 12, and he entrusts them with more than the others. He places this call and this responsibility upon Peter and James and John that was not on the others, the remaining nine that were also hand-selected by Jesus. And as the story and the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ would go and unfold, these men, these, these three, they would begin to see, and they would begin to do, and they would begin to speak more. And it was, in my opinion, in preparation that the reality that they would soon become the protectors and the propagators of the gospel that Jesus would entrust with them as he ascended into heaven. And while Jesus was here and operating, he would pull these three in, and he would, he would let them see more closely, and he would let them see intimately. And in fact, in the book of Matthew chapter 17, he takes them to the mountain of transfiguration. And there he exposes them to something that is supernatural. He, he, he went there and there was Jesus. And while he stood there, he was joined by Moses and Elijah. And those three disciples, they were, they were astonished. They were, they were blown away by this. They, it was remarkable and, and, and an amazing thing for them to experience. Even Peter is recorded for saying, it is a good thing for us to see this and understand this. 
Moses, Moses and Elijah, we understand that one obviously represents the law in Moses and, and Elijah represents the prophets. And while they're standing there with Jesus, they were speaking of the coming crucifixion and, and prophecies were coming to pass. And, and the gears and the teeth of, of those gears of the wheels of prophecy had, had interlocked and things began to spin and be understood in this moment. And, and Moses, Moses, we know who received and was handed down the law and eventually Elijah who emerges as this amazing figure and character in Scripture. We see the significance of these two men standing there with Jesus Christ. When you think about what took place there, and you consider the long line of amazing people in Scripture. We're talking about men like, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jeremiah and Daniel and Joshua. Of all of the men that were before these men, before this moment, of all of the men, Jesus hand-selects these two to reappear for just a moment for us to see and understand and be exposed to. And Moses, Moses, we know he was buried in the land of Moab, and, and nobody knows where it was for exactly, but we know that only one person attended his funeral, and that was God himself. Then later we know Elijah, he was taken away in a chariot, made a fire into heaven. He never tasted the sting of death. Both of these men were loved and protected by God. And here they are communicating with intimacy the coming crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And you fast forward and you see Jesus is on the cross now. And he's made several statements there, statements you've got to pay attention to. When people are, are moments away from dying, they are never more honest than deathbed confessions. you got to pay special attention to the words. You, know, you need to pay special attention to all the words of Jesus. But you need to hone in and tune your ears to the frequency of what is happening in that moment. And Jesus, he begins to speak and he cries out and he says something that confuses the people. He says, Eli! Eli, lama sabachthani, which we understand now because we have the privilege of being on the other side of translation. But the Bible says that the people, they did not understand because he didn't say it in their native tongue. And there were those there that thought he is crying out for Elijah to return in this moment. There's this unique and this, this intimate connection with Jesus and Elijah. And there is, there is a reason that when the, the disciples were, were petitioned, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Some, said that, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're Elijah. Come back from the dead. The reason they thought this was because if you go to the very last book of the Old Testament, you will see a prophecy from Elijah or Malachi saying that the, 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 the anointing and the spirit of Elijah will return to turn the hearts of men back to God. And even today, if you travel to Israel, you will find Jews who believe that one day Elijah will return and preach to the Jewish nation. Jesus, he, he understood what was happening, and he said, he said, you are waiting for the return of Elijah. But, the, but he came and he went. 
and, and his spirit and his ministry and the purpose and the fulfillment of Elijah came back in the life and in the ministry of John the Baptist. There's this, this correlation with Elijah and John, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a lot of lines and connections for just a few moments at the outset of what I'm going to deliver to you, so stay with me. But if you see John the Baptist and his ministry, you will see a ministry that most people did not want. I know people crave. They, they climb over the top of each other. They, they froth at the mouth for an opportunity to do ministry today. You go to a conference and there may be 15 chairs on the platform and preachers are fighting for who's going to get a chair on the platform. So who can be seen and who can be recognized and who can be honored. But truly the ministry of John the Baptist was an undesirable ministry. In fact, he had every right and every obligation to serve with his family back at the temple. But John refused to identify with with this type of ministry. His ministry and his message was a crossroads message. His his sermon was was repent. It was the intersection of God and, and flesh. He said, repent, now is the time, and now is the day of salvation. The same spirit of Elijah was the spirit of John the Baptist, and it was sent to turn the hearts and the minds of people back to God. I pray, Brother Mayo, I pray every Sunday morning before I walk to my own pulpit that there are preachers that are standing in pulpits all over America. America and all over the world. I hope to God there's preachers that are occupying pulpits with the anointing of John the Baptist on them that is not afraid of bureaucracies, that are not afraid of governments and institutions. They're not even afraid of who's tuned in online. I pray to God there would be a there would be a revival of men that can preach with tears in their eyes, but a fire in their mouth. I pray the anointing of John the Baptist and Elijah would get on people and preach the unfallible, unadulterated word of God. Elijah is seen in John the Baptist. He's he's mistaken as Jesus in the return. He's seen on the mountain of transfiguration. He is a man of status and reverence and admiration. But in our text, in 1 Kings chapter 17, all we read is Elijah, the Tishbite. He is of the residents of Gilead. Most prophets have this rich, this this illustrious, deeply profound heritage. We we don't know much about Elijah. Others are described by, by their family and their land and their possessions, their ministries and even their accomplishments. But but not Elijah. He's just a man from a place. And he says to the king, He says, Ahab, as the Lord God liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Now, you've got to get used to this kind of language from the prophet Elijah because he's bold and he's brazen and he's confident. But, but I, what I want you to hear and I want you to understand uh, tonight is that he does not prophesy 
And he does not declare his words on his own merits or the merits of his own doing. But as the, you, you read it, he says, as the Lord God liveth. Everything Elijah did was as the Lord God liveth. Whatsoever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it uh, in the name of Jesus Christ as the Lord God liveth. I, I just feel like preaching for just a moment. I believe 2023 is going to be a year of unprecedented breakthrough and revival. Why do you believe that, Brother Jones? Because the Lord God liveth. I believe there's going to be a revival of backsliders that make their way back to Cornerstone Church in Liberty Lake. Why do you believe that? Because the Lord God liveth. God's fixing to break open financial blessing for you and your family. Why do you believe that? Because the Lord God liveth. I'm preaching to you today. My family's coming back to church as the Lord God liveth. My finances are going to be blessed as the Lord God liveth. We're going to see an expanding revival because the Lord God liveth. When you hear preaching like this, you don't need to look at me and hear my voice. You need to close your eyes and declare, I believe as the Lord God liveth. Elijah's not just a tishbite from the residents of Gilead, but he was a man that understood my God is alive. And that is what I'm preaching to you on a Tuesday night, that God is alive. As the Lord God liveth, there is a place prepared for you in heaven. As the Lord God liveth, you can be set free from drugs. As the Lord God liveth, God can heal your broken marriage. As the Lord God liveth. Now, now you, you, you spend six years on the mission field, and you'll start believing like I believe because there's not a safety net. There's not a COVID check. There's not a welfare in a soup kitchen. There's not an abundance of hospitals and health care. When I stand in front of my congregation, I can't tell them we're going to pray for you, but let me know what the doctor says because most of them don't have a doctor, and they don't have insurance, so something's got to rise up in the heart of a 35-year-old missionary that says either God is alive or God is not alive. Either God can or God can. And I'm here to tell you tonight that God can and God will and God does as the Lord God liveth. Huh. That's why, that's why you go to my church, and my church is not afraid of COVID. My church is not afraid of leukemia and cancer and diabetes because my church understands even, even if you find yourself on a hospital bed with a respirator and COVID-19 or 20 or 21 is wrecking havoc on your body, the moment you take your last breath in a hospital room, you take your first breath on streets of gold and walls of jasper and get and COVID did not win and cancer did not win and leukemia does not win the Holy Ghost wins every single time as the Lord God liveth huh. as the Lord God liveth no dew no rain until I say so goodbye Good night. And that was Elijah's sermon. 
he's crazy. He's a crazy wild man. And until you woke up the next morning and you went outside and the grass was dry. And a week went by and there had no, been no rain. And a month went by and there had been no rain. And two years, three years go by and there's no rain. And that was the message of Elijah. Now God, God allowed this to happen, Brother Mayo, because his people had turned their affection and their attention and their worship away from him and placed it in smaller gods. God, the God of Baal, the God of weather, the God of environment, the God of earth. As long as there was rain and fruit and crops, they ignored the big God and worshipped smaller gods. The Lord, their God, deserved their praise, but they gave it to a lesser God and built statues and sacrificed their children. And Elijah said, you build gods. And they have eyes, but they cannot see. And they have ears, but they cannot hear. And I want you to know tonight that God is jealous for you. He's a jealous God. In fact, the Bible says he has godly jealousy. He says, my name is jealousy. Now, don't get confused because jealousy and envy are not the same thing. Now, God is jealous, but God is not envious. And the difference between jealousy and envy is envy is you wanting something you do not deserve and does not belong to you. Jealousy is you wanting something you do deserve, but you can't have it. And God is saying, I am jealous for you. I'm not envious because I do deserve your praise. And if you would give it to me, you have no idea the things that I want to do for you. Abraham, I want to bless you when you come. I want to bless you when you go. I want to bless those that bless you. I want to bless those that curse you. Abraham, I am jealous for you. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. I'm not envious for you. I am jealous for you. He says, you have no idea the thoughts that I have towards you to bless and to prosper you, to keep and cherish you. You have no idea the joy. You think you know joy? You've never tasted joy like the joy that comes from God. You think you know peace? You don't know peace until you taste the peace that passeth all understanding. You don't know love until you taste love that is unspeakable and it's full of God's glory. He's jealous when we place our trust and our affection in other things. When we do that, a famine begins. When we are distant from God and we place our attention, our affection in other gods, there's a famine. There's a famine. There is a famine in our land today. There is a famine in the land. That's why. That's why people's hearts are failing them. People are trusting in things that can bring them no joy, can bring them no peace, turning their worship and attention and desires towards things that cannot heal their hurting heart and will never heal their hurting heart. The message you better know is that there is a famine in our world. And there is no, you hear what I'm preaching to you tonight. 
There is no fulfillment outside or no fulfillment in relationships outside the blessings of God. There is no fulfillment in the pleasures of this world. There is no fulfillment in money, in prestige, and power. It is seasonal. It is momentary. It is a temporary relief but cannot bring you true satisfaction. That is why suicide is on the rise among children. That is why the United States is 3% of the world's population. Three. Now, we think we're big because we think we got the biggest gun. We think we're big, but we are 3% of the world's population. Yet we consume over 80% of the world's prescribed narcotics. I want, I, want, I want to let that settle in for just a moment. 3% of the world is consuming 80% of the drugs. And we wonder why suicide's on the rise. And we've got anxiety. And we've got depression. And we've got the depletion of our energy. And we're fatigued every day that we live. And we're looking for love in all of the wrong places. And I, I, want, I want you to know I rebuke that spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. You, 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 you are living in a place where the blessings of the Lord are waiting for you. In the name of Jesus Christ. But there is a famine in our land. There's no dew. There's no rain. Prophet was told by God, go thee hence, turn eastward, and hide thyself in the brook near Jordan. While he sat there, the Bible says that in the morning a raven would bring him meat and bread. And then again in the evening a raven would bring him meat and bread again a second time. Now I love this. I love this because it lets me know that that eating meat is apostolic. And if you're a vegetarian here tonight, you can be delivered in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, you can receive the power of the Holy Ghost, set you free. <laughs> hey, the Bible says the willing and the obedient eat the fat or the meat of the land. And so you can look around this room tonight and see who's willing and who's obedient. Amen. He, he, didn't, he didn't bring, he didn't, the, that raven didn't bring Elijah zucchini and quinoa. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Get back, focus. In the nombre de Jesus. Every morning that raven would bring him meat. Every morning that raven would bring him bread. There's a famine in the land. But Elijah is eating and refreshed. There's a famine in the land, but the man of God is preserved, and he is provided for. Here's what I'm telling Cornerstone Church tonight. There is a famine in our land, but here we are in the house of the Lord, and we are eating all right. 
we're in the house of God tonight and you can feel his presence and you can feel his joy. There's a famine in the land, but we can feel his presence in this room. While there's, I'm preaching to you, there may be a famine, but we've got faith in difficult times. You know, you know, we're not supposed to make it in 2023 when there's a famine in the land. We're not supposed to be building buildings in 2023 when there's a famine in the land, but I can feel joy in the house of the Lord. You're supposed to be addicted in 2023. You're supposed to be medicated in 2023. You're supposed to have a coping mechanism. You're supposed to be dysfunctional. You're supposed to be naked and ashamed, but we're not. Here we are, clothed and in our right mind, in the house of the Lord. God's people are happy. God's people are blessed. God's people are living in abundance. We've got faith in difficult times. Praise God. During the pandemic, Brother Mayo, we, we, had, we had military police patrolling the island with, with machine guns. We had a 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. curfew. You could only travel out of your house once every 14 days. It was, it was so tight. It was, I'm telling you, there was a heaviness and a darkness fell over that island. And here I am, supposed to be the great wise uh, white leader in an all-Spanish church. And I'm trying to navigate the complexities of something that was not in the, blue, the, 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 the handbook for preachers. Nobody showed us how to navigate pandemics. And here I am, I'm preaching and teaching, and then we, we weren't allowed to have service anymore. So we decided we were going to turn our church into a soup kitchen, and we can make little packed lunches and deliver them to the people in our church. And we got government permission to travel during that time. It became 1,000 meals, and then it was 10,000 meals, and then it was 15,000 meals. It became so much uh, of an effort and so expensive that I would travel back and forth to the United States to preach and raise money just to send it back to buy rice, beans, milk, coffee, sugar, flour, and, and, and a few other things that were in our care packages. Every week we were handing these out, delivering them. And I'm telling you tonight, it became so expensive. And I, I was losing sleep because it became 25, 30, 35, 40,000 meals. And I'm looking at my wife, I'm looking at our bank account, and it, it's not adding up. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget, I had a woman come to me, she said, Pastor, I want to meet with you in your office. Now, Brother Mayo, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but it was the first time I'd ever been called into my own office. I said, man, I'm in real trouble. So I walked in there, and this elderly lady in my church, she said, sit down. No, she didn't say that, but that's how it felt. She says, I just want to let you know, Pastor, you are not using wisdom. I said, whew, that is a relief. Because I thought this was something serious. You are not the first person to tell me that. And you are probably not going to be the last person to tell me that. I said, why, why am I not using wisdom? She says, you know, there are people that are coming to our church every week just to eat our food. They don't want the gospel. They don't, they don't want to hear you preach. They're just there to eat our food. I said, uh, what's your point? She says, well, I think you are wasting our money. I said, okay. Now, now I'm mad. I said, let me tell you something, sister. Number one, this is not our money because you haven't tithed in 18 months. This is God's money. So if you want to have a conversation about this, you spend a couple months being faithful and giving, and then I'll let you have a vote. 
And second of all, God pays the bills. It is not my job to determine why people are coming to my church. It is my job to preach to them the acceptable year of the Lord. For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he hath anointed me to If you come for chili, you're going to hear about Jesus' name, baptism. If you come for spaghetti, I'm going to talk to you about the Holy Ghost. I'm not, I don't really care why they come. I've just got to preach to them. And here's what happened. We kept doing it. We kept paying the bills. I don't even know how. But a man walked up to me at the church in board shorts, flip-flops, a T-shirt. It was obvious that he was not apostolic. He said, hey, are you the pastor of this church? I said, well, listen, I, now I don't give that information out freely. I said, what do you want with the preacher? He owe you money or something? I ain't seen that guy in months, man. I don't think he's coming back. No, I, I said, yeah, I'm the pastor of the church. He said, I heard about what you've been doing, feeding people on this island. He said, I own an IT company in Dallas, Texas. He says, when I get home, I'm going to start writing checks to pay for the food for the people. You're. Hey, I'm telling you, you just do the work of God, and he pays the bills. I know we may be living in a famine, but the prophet was doing all right. Everybody else is struggling, but not God's people, not God's church, not God's mission, not God's kingdom not God's revival. You just keep building the buildings and God will pay the bills. You keep busting in kids and God will provide the curriculum. You just keep believing in the mission of God. You don't worry about where it's going. You don't worry how you're going to do it. God will do it. God will do it. God will do it. God provides in famine. There's pestilence. There's Wars, there's, you can come to the music, there's rumors of wars, we're, but the people of God, we see it all around us. We're not oblivious to what's happening in the world. Our heads are not buried in the sand. We see the complexities in our world. We see the corruption. We, we find ourselves in a posture of discouragement at times when we see our own governments. We see it all, but we are not dismayed. You hear this preacher. We are not discouraged. We are not discontented, and we are not doomed. We are more determined, and we are more devoted, and we are more destined for the promises of God than we have ever been before because God's people are blessed. And God's people are loving. And God's people have faith. Here's what I'm preaching. If you cut me open at the core of who I am, I'm a faith preacher. And I I just believe that God will sustain you. God, I'm talking about on the macro level of Cornerstone tonight, but I'm also talking on the micro level of people and families and, and individuals that are in this room that are looking at 2023 with, with anxiety and you're wondering how in the world, what in the world are we going to do? I don't have the answers for this year. I don't have the plan for this year. Everybody's got resolutions around me. I'm just trying to make it day by day, week by week. You hear what this missionary is preaching to you tonight. God will sustain you even if he's got to use an unclean bird to do it. God will use an unclean bird to sustain you in the most unlikely of ways. A raven is a carnivore. He's a predatory bird. He's unclean and he's devouring. 
when that raven picked up that meat that morning to bring it to Elijah for the very first time, everything in that bird wanted to eat that meat for himself. The juice of that meat was running down that sucker's beak. But God controls the boundaries of nature, and he will command nature to bless you. Everything in that bird wanted to eat it for himself, but God said, that does not belong to you. That belongs to my people. That belongs to my man of God. You hear what I'm preaching? God will shut the mouth of the predatorial bird and say, no, that's reserved for my people. That's reserved for my man of By now, I thought somebody in this room would connect in faith. What well, I'm preaching to you tonight. Some of you have been looking at this year wondering how in the world are we going to make it. I'm telling you, God will sustain you in the most unlikely of ways. God will send people into your life that will provide for you. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. But God is a supplier. God is Jehovah Jireh. God is a provider. That's why, that's why we're not worried. That's why we're not anxious. Because we know we are living in the best season for God to do the miraculous. And when you are doing what God has called you to do, encouragement, a job, money, opportunities, you don't got to look for those. They're looking for you. They're coming to you. You just keep showing up to prayer. Every night we have prayer, and God will take care of you. You just keep doing what you've got to do with your hands lifted and your eyes on the hills from whence cometh your help. You're not going to worry about your mortgage. You don't got to worry about your babies. You don't got to worry about your marriage. God will sustain you. God will provide. That's how God provides for his people. While the plagues were in Egypt, they were living good in Goshen. While the blood was running in Egypt, they were drinking fresh water in Goshen. When the sun was hiding its face in Egypt, the sun was shining in Goshen. When cows were falling over in Egypt, cows were walking fine in Goshen. I'm preaching to you tonight, where do you want to live? You decide to live in the blessings of God, but you do it with faithfulness, you do it with obedience, and God will sustain his people. I know cancer is here. I know depression is here. I know suicide and addiction is here. But while all of that is happening, don't lose faith in the famine. Don't, don't lose faith in the famine. You need to keep believing in God and trusting in God and rebuke fear in the name of Jesus. But here, here's where people, everybody loves that. Everybody loves the raven and the miraculous provision of God. But verse number 7 is what spooks people. Because the Bible says some time later. We don't know when it was. The Bible says the brook dried up. And that's a scary feeling when where you've been sustained for all these years and where you've been dipping your bucket and being refreshed all these years, all of a sudden you wake up one morning and what you've been living off of is gone. And the big question is what are you going to do when the brook dries up? There's still a famine. 
You still need to be nourished. You're still God's man and God's woman. What are you going to do when the brook dries up, Elijah? Well, you're going to sit down under a sycamine tree, suck your thumb, and say, God, God's forgotten about me? Or you can get up and receive a fresh word from God. It says, this, this is not going to be the place where you're sustained anymore. This is an old miracle. But I've got to do a new thing in you. Can I tell you what 2023 is for some of you? God's getting ready to do, to do a new thing for you. God, you might have to lose your job, but God's got another one waiting for you. You might have to be unsettled for a little while, but God's got something new for you. But I'm telling you right now, there may be a famine in the world, but God. Oftentimes we, how, how, Brother Mayo, how are we going to get collectively and individually where God wants us to go as Cornerstone Church in Liberty Lake and Spokane? How are we going to get there if we don't leave where we are? You've got to leave comfort. Abraham, you've got to leave the familiar. You've got to leave the known. You've got to leave what you've been around all your life. And you've got to step into a new place of consecration and devotion and walk with God. That's why the Bible says that Samuel was given over into the care of the prophets and the priests in Shiloh. And one time every year, the mother of Samuel would come and bring him a new coat. Why was she bringing him a new coat? Because last year's coat didn't fit him anymore every year you ought to be putting on a new coat because if you're still living in last year's consecration and last year's giving and last year's walk with God and last year's praise and last year's worship that coat's going to restrict your growth but one time every year a mama's got to show up in your life and say it's time to grow it's time for a new coat it's time for you to leave where you are so I can take you where I want you to go We are often led by our limitations. Oftentimes we have to lose something before we can walk into what God wants us to have. We are led through what we lose. If the brook never dried, he never would have left. If he never left, he never would have met the widow woman. If he never would have met the widow woman, she, would, she and her son would have died. Can I preach to you that God can use something in your life that looks bad, but it's not really bad. It's just something that led me to the next place where God wants to provide. If God didn't let your heart break, if you never went through bankruptcy, if you didn't have to leave that city, you wouldn't be where you are. You wouldn't be standing before Goliath, and God would not be showing himself strong in your life. I'm preaching to people right now. You can come get ready. I'm through. I'm preaching to people that are navigating complex situations that are wondering how in the world where do I go, Pastor? What do I do? Where, where, how, do I, how do I walk through this? How do I trust God in this? Where do I go? Where do I lean? How, who do I trust? I'm telling you, your hands stay lifted. Your eyes stay fixed on God. And you keep believing that even if I lose, I'm not losing in limitation. I'm losing in blessing. God is taking me somewhere. Come on, somebody. God is taking you somewhere. I know it's a Tuesday night, but I wonder if there's anybody in this room right now 
that can say, Brother Jones, you, you, you're talking to me. I feel that word resonating in my heart. If that's you, I want you to get out of your pew right now. I want you to come stand in this altar, and I want you to throw your hands in the air, and I want you to say, God, there may be a famine in the world. There may be fear and anxiety all around me. It may, it may, it may took everything I had just to get to church tonight, but I will not be dismayed, and I will not be discouraged, and I will not walk away for greatest thy faithfulness. God is good. God is good all the time. God is a provider, and God can keep me in a famine. Come on, as they play and sing, I want you to lift your hands. Come on, lift your voice, lift your hands. Come on. Come on, don't let your hands stay in your pockets. Don't let your hands stay by your side. But there's a posture of faith, and it looks like this. There's a posture of confidence in God, and it looks like